I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. Pure Talk, the cell phone service my family relies on, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome, everybody. It is the Tuesday edition of Clay and Buck, and the fourth indictment came down. Let's just jump into it right away. Uh, Clay is in transit to one of his book tour stops today. He will join us. For a segment here in just a little bit, though, bottom of this hour to weigh in on this indictment. Um, we've also got Andy McCarthy in the mix on just what we can take so far from the massive, and I want to say massive, I just mean in terms of how long it is, how many counts there are. It is the count of countless counts. It just keeps going on and on and on. Um, you have a large number of individuals in the indictment, most notably Donald Trump, but also, and I had a feeling this was the case when we did our show yesterday before this uh, indictment was formally, formally published. Remember, it was pre-published apparently before the grand jury could even vote on it. That's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Usually you wait until afterwards, right? But it's almost like the whole grand jury thing was just a formality anyway, and they knew that based on what the system was expected to do, that it would act in this way or that it would operate in this way. Uh, so we, sure enough, the charges that came down that were initially published turned out to be the charges that have now been uh, put forward against Donald Trump. The allegations are now official in this indictment, and I said there'd be other people that it touched uh, as well or is going after as well, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, John Eastman, Jeff Clark, Mike Roman. There's a whole bunch of people who have been indicted in this. Uh, there's there's a lot of, of folks who are caught up in this. Donald Trump and 18 other individuals came down late last night. The top count 
And we're going to, today, we're going to spend a, a lot of time on this. There's some other stories I want to get to as well. Um, but there's a, there's a lot that's here. The top count is racketeering or a RICO, uh, charge. So that I also thought was, was going to be a part of this. And that is the umbrella charge, if you will. That's to get at this as a multifaceted conspiracy. There are so many steps that the prosecution here, Fannie Willis, lays out that it's 98 pages. The indictment is 98 pages long. I read it this morning, and I don't want to get into all of it. It's a lot of it's a lot of uh, forgery charges. Trying to here, I'll I'll give you a I'll give you a, a few. Here we go. False statements and writings. They repeat that many many times. Solicitation of violation of oath by public officer, false statements and writings, impersonating a public officer, conspiracy to commit impersonating a public officer. Oh, boy, a lot of that. Conspiracy to commit forgery. So every charge also has more or less a conspiracy charge attached to it as well. So if there was a forgery that they claim was committed, it's also conspiracy to commit the forgery. False statements and writings, false statements and writings, uh, yada yada, etc., etc., etc. It just goes on and on and on. Violation of the Georgia RICO Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organization Act is the top count. Here is the uh, Trump indictment. Uh, the the person pushing this, Fannie Willis. Here she is announcing it. I want you to hear this, and we're going to break more of this down. I, I had, a, I think, a a pretty important. Not just argument, but point of necessary context for all this we're about to dive into. But you should hear, here's the prosecutor, as we said, in Atlanta, indictment number four, play number one. Every individual charged in the indictment is charged with one count of violating Georgia's Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act through participation in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia, and elsewhere to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. Specifically, the participants in association took various actions in Georgia and elsewhere to block the counting of the votes of the presidential electors who were certified as the winners of Georgia's 2020 general election. All right. Now, first off, the fourth indictment here, just the fact that it's the fourth one, tells you a lot about what's going on. You've heard many people saying, including Clay and me, about the weaponization of the DOJ for politics. That is now clear. We now live in a country where if you run for higher office and the Democrats decide that you're too much of a threat, they will use the criminal justice system. They will abuse the criminal justice system to take you off the chessboard. They don't want to have to beat you at the ballot box. They would prefer, as we see, The usage of the law as a weapon of politics. This is one of the most dangerous things for a country that has elections. This is one of the things that can most rapidly create a descent into full-blown tyranny. Honestly, I know that sounds like a lot. I know 
But look at all the totalitarian impulses of the Democrats as a matter of policy and certainly as a matter of criminal justice. They have no compunction about this. There's no part of them that feels like maybe we're doing something here that has really long-term and disastrous ramifications for the country. You know, are there arguments that Trump's team made that, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I certainly would have never made? Yeah, absolutely. Is it illegal? Is it criminal? No. No, they're criminalizing legal procedure and legal advice as much as they may think it's a bizarre legal theory. And more to the point, this should be treated as a political question. Do the American people, given all the facts, given all that we know, and that includes Russia collusion, and that includes all the underhanded efforts to undo the 2016 election, that always gets left out of these conversations with Democrats about January 6th, about Russia collusion, the special counsel, two impeachments. The first one we know was an utter farce. The first one was actually just a straight-up lie. Uh, had to do with the, it was a perfectly fine phone call. Hunter was selling influence to his dad. He was doing it in Ukraine. Zelensky was talking to Trump. Trump is the chief executive of the United States government. Guess what? Hunter Biden wasn't supposed to have global immunity, but he got it. His daddy became president. And this is what I think really it, it all comes down to right now. We're going to have to talk about the jeopardy involved here. Anyone who tells you because they, they're telling people right now a lot of what they want to hear. Anyone who tells you this isn't going to be, meaning all four of the indictments, enormously challenging for Trump in the election year, and that this isn't election interference, and that this is intended to do anything other than, at a minimum, make it impossible for Trump to run the campaign that he would otherwise run, is, is just delusional at this point, right? There's another layer to this, though, and we have to look at this honestly. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, I had some people, even after when I said the first indictment was coming and then the second indictment said, why are you talking about this? They were upset. Why are you talking? Because this is what the enemy's doing. You know, it, it, what what can you say about this other than this is the reality of what is coming against us? If I'm saying, hey, guys, the enemy's lined up artillery pieces, we better get down in the foxhole now because we got incoming. What is the person who runs alongside me and says, don't get in the trench? You don't even know if the artillery's coming. Oh, you know. None of that. We have to live in reality here. This is a multi-pronged effort to subvert the 2024 election, to destroy Donald Trump, to destroy the MAGA movement. And even if you despise Trump, and there are Republicans who do. You have to see the standard and the precedent and the reality of what is going on here. Even if you're a DeSantis person, a Vivek person, a Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, everybody on the right who is technically running for president. And there are people that are supporting all of those candidates. And in some cases, a lot of people supporting them. I would think they could recognize that this legal effort against Trump is an abuse, that this is also showing us there's a fundamental difference between the way the Democrat Party approaches power and Republicans. Republicans, on our side, we have the people who are saying, first of all, don't talk about the mean things they're going to do. I don't want to hear about it. Okay, we're at indictment number four, so I'm glad everyone, you know, 
How many times do I say, oh, it turns out there wasn't going to be an indictment? No, every time Clay and I have sat here and said to you, guys, I think this this indictment's coming any day now. Uh, let's get ready for it. Let's talk about it. Let's analyze it. It has been the case. Okay. Uh, we'll have Clay with us in a few minutes. He's three for three in the last few indictments with being out for the day. We'll talk about that. It's just, what are the odds? What are the chances of that? But he'll be with us to uh, to weigh in on this from a, from a legal perspective shortly. But with all of what we see going on, this is now actually about more than Trump, no matter what somebody thinks about Trump. Because it's clearly election interference. It's clearly uh, the the magnification of charges. I mean, just look at New York City. It's the exaggeration. It is the politicization of our Justice Department to destroy somebody they don't like. Who is the uh, the individual here? Who's going to be able to stand around and say, I'm, I'm the victim of a crime perpetrated by Donald Trump? Oh, it's all conspiracy. The only victim they claim, really, uh, is the United States government or the state of New York or the state of Georgia. There's something going on here. And I, I think you need to hear this because I never lose sight of this. I, I was as um, brass knuckled in my defense of Trump during Russia collusion as anybody could be out there to the point where Trump talked to me about it, was was, was grateful for the points I was making as somebody who had an understanding way beyond what basically, you know, I don't know, 99% of the commentators on even on the right understood when it came to intelligence work, espionage, the uh, FISA uh, courts, all of that. Um, he appreciated the defense, but the defense was more than warranted. It was necessary for Trump. It was necessary for that administration. And it was what was right for the country at the time. What is right for the country in this moment when Hillary Clinton can go on MSNBC and be gleeful and giddy about the destruction of a Republican presidential candidate and former president because her team doesn't like him. What does it say about where we are? Play clip three. Madam Secretary, fancy meeting you. Oh, I can't believe this. (laughs) Yeah, this is not the circumstances in which I expected to be talking to you. Nor me, Rachel. It's always good to talk to you. But honestly, um, I didn't think that it would be under these circumstances. Yet another set of indictments. Let me ask you this question. What is the answer when you come across somebody, and I'm sure you do, whether it's in your day-to-day life or you just see their their commentary on TV, you you stumble in the morning, you know, you're, you're you're looking for Fox and Friends, and you find yourself on Morning Joe for a second. What is their answer to this question? How do they expect people who have voted? I voted for Donald Trump twice. I will vote for Donald Trump again if he is the, if he is the Republican nominee, and I think he, he is likely to be. Although I don't know, I don't know. Nobody, anyone who says they know is wrong. No one can predict the future, as I tell you all the time, and that's obviously true. What is their response to this? We are supposed to sit here while in his 77th year of life, a former president is hit with four criminal indictments. We're supposed to sit here and forget about the abuse of FISA, the weaponization of the intelligence and law enforcement community to try to destroy him while he was president. And we are to forget that Hillary Clinton clearly violated the Espionage Act. This is beyond dispute. 
She did it many times. She did it willfully. She knew she didn't care. She thought she was above the law, kind of like Hunter we're finding out is above the law. What do they say to you when you point out why is it that only our side ever has to pay consequences? Put aside whether or not that's why is you know whether whether that what Trump did you think he did do didn't do Democrats get away with it. Democrats get away with it. Hunter Biden, I think, is going to get away with the whole thing. And Joe Biden, too. And Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. They got away with and they got away with a lot. That's a whole other conversation. They've gotten away with it. And we know they broke the law. I mean, Bill Clinton lied under oath. Put that aside for a second, although that's certainly worth talking about. Hillary Clinton violated the Espionage Act. We know that. She also destroyed evidence. We know that. When was the last time a high-level Democrat got hit with a process crime in an investigation? No, in fact, during the investigation of Hillary's server, remember that? They basically deputized Hillary's lawyers to get to play on both sides. They're her lawyers. They're subject to the investigation, but they're her lawyers, so they can't actually be pressed in the investigation. It was preposterous so we're supposed to sit here and say your your team keeps getting a pass but donald trump has to pay the price until they have an answer for me on that i don't even want to you know all the all the chirping about oh look at the oh my gosh the future of our democracy it's nonsense to me what's really at stake here do we live in a country where there is some justice where there is some fairness or not that's what's on trial here as much as Donald Trump or anything else. Why does only one side pay the price? We know they've broken the law. Don't even get to hear about it. Look, while we talk about the most obvious apparent crimes, like, you know, the Hillary Clinton stuff going on in our country, uh, we often forget to talk about what's going on silently behind the scenes. Online identity theft is as prevalent as it has ever been. And it's getting worse and worse out there because they're really clever. They'll send you, this happens to me, they'll send you a text message and it'll say, hey, this is your bank. And they'll, they'll actually have the name of, they did this to me. It was my actual bank. They have the right bank. They knew what kind of account it was. They just wanted a little more info so they could clean out my bank account. That stuff can happen. They can also just get enough of your info, your DOB, your basic information. And then all of a sudden, guess what? They take out loans in your name. Right? This stuff happens all the time. And it's happening to people day in and day out. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft affect our lives. When you have LifeLock, you have protection. You need LifeLock to have your back online because of exactly what I'm talking about. And if you do become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based LifeLock restoration specialist will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. Join now. Save 25% off your first year with promo code BUCK. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go online to LifeLock.com. Use my name, BUCK, as the promo code for 25% off. The torch of truth, past and still lit every day. The Clay, Travis, and Buck Sexton Show. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. 
You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. The number one fantasy sports app in America is Prize Picks. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Five million members already active on Prize Picks. If you've not yet downloaded Prize Picks, do it today. Unlike other apps on Prize Picks, it's just you against the number. It's about the players and not the teams. You look for the sports you know best and that you follow the most. Then you make a single decision on each player projection, more or less. Every time you play, you pick two to six players and make that one decision. You can win up to 100 times your money on Prize Picks with as little as four picks. More player action on prize picks now than ever, and it's the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states now. Prize picks also gives you injury insurance, so your picks stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Download the free prize picks app and open your account. Use my name, Clay, for a first deposit match up to $100. Download the prize picks app. Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, to get set up and get a deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less, it's that easy. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes that we're endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. GCU believes in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. GCU equips you to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. Change the world for good by putting others before yourself to glorify God. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's online, on-campus, and hybrid learning environments are designed to help you achieve your unique academic, personal, and professional goals. With over 330 academic programs as of September 2023, GCU meets you where you are and provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Let it flourish. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. We wanted to hear from our main man, Clay. He is currently in transit for his book tour, but he has to weigh in. Clay, just before we get into the latest here, I believe this is now the third time you have tried to have a day off and there has been a Trump indictment. You're three for three. What are the odds? I mean, it's pretty unbelievable when you really break that down. I mean, I haven't even gone away that much uh, for the summer, but uh, every time I've ducked away, and this one is not even really vacation. It's just they couldn't figure out how to get me from Salt Lake City to Houston uh, without somehow infringing on the show. So I'm at the Salt Lake City airport, um, got the signing tonight in uh, Katy, Texas, and late last night when I got back from the signing in Salt Lake, appreciate everybody being there. We've, I met so many of our listeners. They were fabulous. Um, everything falls apart again. 
And I just, this one in particular feels so dirty and so calculated, even on a level that the others didn't, Buck. Um, And unlike the others where you can say, okay, well, this can be cured by winning the presidency by a pardon. This is far more significant in nature than the New York City state charges. And this one, I think, is going to linger for some time. It's just an unbelievable outrage. But it, to me, is the worst of the four so far in terms of uh, just what the long-range impact is going to be. So you, do you think, I mean, our, our buddy Andy McCarthy, who's going to be joining us later on today, uh, Clay, on the show, he, he's been pretty clear. I mean, he thinks that because of both the specifics of Georgia law, state law when it comes to elections, and also the reality that there's no way for there to be a federal presidential pardon or a backing off of the DOJ under, say, a Trump or other Republican administration, that this is a uniquely serious problem, putting aside the unfairness of it and the politicization of it as a threat. He seems to think this is a pretty high one of the four indictments. How do you come down on that? Yeah, I think so. Because, again, the federal charges, we've talked about this. I think you can break them down. Miami is relatively serious on the process-based crime, South Florida, that is. But it's federal charges, and I think the jury and the judge actually are very beneficial to Trump. Uh, The charges in Jan 6 in Washington, D.C., to me, as I've laid out, are legally garbage. Um, And, again, I think they'll get tossed out by the Supreme Court eventually. We've discussed New York City. I mean, it's a bookkeeping charge. It's a garbage charge in the first place. This one is going to be more challenging uh, because there is no direct pardon mechanism. The Atlanta jury is going to be very biased against Trump. Um, And it's in a toss-up state, which to me is so significant, as we were talking about yesterday. And, Buck, let's not mistake what happened here. They listed all of these charges on the Atlanta website, Fulton County, before there had been any indictment from the grand jury at all. They lied and said it was a fictitious rumor. We talked about this yesterday as soon as Reuters broke this news story. And then the numbers and the charges are the exact same, uh, which is just unprecedented in terms of the rigged nature. They were queued up because they knew that no matter what they were seeking, this grand jury was going to indict him. What do you think the Trump team's move is going to be in response to this? Like, how, how do you see this one, Clay, playing out based on the? I mean, I read the 98 pages this morning, and, you know, this is kitchen sink included for the indictment. I mean, they're just throwing every, you know, every false statement, every signature, every everything, right? They're just trying to throw the count of countless counts at Trump and also the people, some of the people around him, right? You had Mark Meadows and you have Rudy Giuliani, you have Jenna Ellis, you have other lawyers, other individuals who got caught up in this. How do you think the, the narrative is framed by the defense and the steps taken by the defense to fight back? Well, I think they'll challenge the, the grand jury proceeding itself based on part of the leak that surrounded this, the fact that it came out before the grand jury had actually indicted. I think it's a two-front war in many ways, like many of these are, where you have to both battle the legal and the political ramifications of this case simultaneously. You can't just fight one or the other. 
Um, and so that becomes a challenge because sometimes some of the arguments that you want to make politically may infringe on the territory of your legal argument. Uh, I think still the biggest thing for Trump is going to be they're trying to get this uh, case. I saw last night watching the press conference with Fannie Willis, Buck. they're trying to get this done in six months, um, which would slot it somewhere in right after Jack Smith requested for the Jan 6 hearing. Again, I think that's very ambitious. But if I'm the Trump team, I want to push this all the way till after the election. And then I want to turn, if I win, uh, this legal matter into a political one almost entirely if you are Trump and argue, I think, to the Supreme Court, what are you going to try to do here? You can't put the sitting president of the United States in prison for state law violations. So, again, I think Trump is going to be running uh, for president. I think this accelerates it and, uh, and increases these odds even more so to avoid having to be put potentially in prison based on a conviction in a left-wing jurisdiction. We're looking, Clay, at, at, let me see here, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, John Eastman, Jeff Clark, Mike Roman, David uh, Schaefer, 12 other people, I think, um, that are all indicted. You know, I I know that we focus so much on Trump because of, well, it's Trump and he's running to be president. He hasn't president. Is Rudy Giuliani possibly going to go to prison over this? I mean, what do you think about the realities of the risks here facing some of the other people that are very much uh, a part of this RICO indictment? Well, first of all, Fannie Willis said she wants to try all 19 defendants together, which is kind of unheard of. I mean, again, I, I would imagine... There are, I know there are a lot of defense attorneys and prosecutors uh, in their history out there listening to us right now. I can't recall uh, a case of this magnitude. And, and also, I think it brings home, Buck, the scope of what she's trying to do here. She is trying to not only put Trump in prison, she's trying to put an entire cadre of legal advisors surrounding Trump in prison for the rest of their life as well. This is an assault upon the Republican Party, the likes of which we've never seen before, um, and, and, uh, and upon attorneys uh, who are providing legal representation. Now, I think what she will try to do, Buck, is turn some many of those that are advising Trump that they have charged in this case to testify against him and argue that he was ultimately the grand poobah of what she believes was a conspiracy uh, to violate federal and state election law, and obviously she's focused on the state component. Um, but Again, I just look at this and say, Trump, basically, the question that everybody has is, uh, in the event that Trump is the uh, is the nominee, and certainly I saw the polling this morning, he's a big favorite, 40-point lead, I think, right now in New Hampshire, the likes of which we haven't seen before. If this indictment is like any others, it will have a rallying effect. Trump will open up an even bigger lead. And in the next five months, is that going to disappear? I find that hard to believe. So basically, Trump is, and I can't believe this is real, but Trump is going to be, in my opinion, running for president to try to keep himself from going to prison, potentially for the rest of his life. What do you make of this one, Clay? Uh, Trump put out on Truth Social a large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on the presidential election fraud which took place in Georgia, is almost complete and will be presented by me at a major news conference at 11 a.m. of next week in Bedminster, New Jersey. 
Based on the results of this conclusive report, all charges should be dropped against me and others. There will be a complete exoneration. They never went after those that rigged the election. They only went after those that fought to find those who rigged the election. Clay, what do you make of that? Well, I mean, one, I'll wait and see what his defense is. But two, do you think Jack Smith and Fannie Willis and uh, Alvin Bragg and uh, and the, those three prosecutors that have brought charges so far care at all what Donald Trump's defenses are going to be? <laughs> not I mean, a, not even a little not even a little bit. I'm just I'm like trying to I'm trying to figure out what the Trump play is with this. Well, I think it's a political play, um, and he may have a legal argument that he's going to use in court as well. I'm not begrudging that, but. The impact on the people that are trying to put him in prison for the rest of his life is going to be zero. You know, even if Trump came out and presented stone-cold evidence of uh, cheating and rigging, that the media wouldn't cover it. Uh, So I understand, again, this goes to the two-front or that Trump is now fighting both legal and political, and it sounds like what he's going to present is going to be both of those. Uh, But I can already probably write what the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post is going to read. Uh, the morning after Trump presents his defense, and it's going to be ridiculing the idea that Trump has any defense at all. You think the judge may, we've already seen the early stages here of protective orders in D.C. on that federal case relating to election 2020 and January 6th. Do you think Trump may run afoul of the Georgia judge in, in, in this case by talking about the case in this way? Yeah. I mean, look, this is what I've said from the get-go is the biggest peril in the short term to Trump. I mean, we just saw Sam Bankman-Fried have his bail revoked based on his behavior uh, while he was out of court, and much of that behavior was actually trying to defend himself. They are trying to set traps for Trump, and they're going to set traps by trying to get Trump in contempt of court rulings as to what he can and cannot say. All of these judges want to be able, I believe, to basically, uh, you know, put the Trump pelt up on their wall and, uh, and, and outside of Eileen Cannon in South Florida, I haven't seen any suggestion that there's any remote fairness coming from the bench towards Donald Trump at all. Um, and, uh, that's why I said yesterday, Buck, to me, this is a state of Georgia. Interesting question. Um, to me, he should have the opportunity to remove this case to federal law, uh, federal court. Um, under Georgia law, I would try to pass a law that would say that that's allowed. Also, move it anywhere outside of Fulton County. Uh, if you move this to any other county in Georgia, I really do believe this. I think the odds of Trump being convicted on these charges are virtually zero. But, of course, they're bringing it in the one county where they have a favorable jury pool and a favorable disposition towards the idea that Trump is a criminal. And that's why, ultimately... Uh, I come back to the the precedent that's being set here is blue city and blue state uh, jurisdictions have the ability and have now shown the willingness to try to put Republican politicians in prison for the rest of their life. There's no comparable action that's been undertaken at all by red states or red jurisdictions. Democrats, like Hunter Biden, they don't fear the consequences of their actions in any way. And Democrats are going to war with Republicans, and Republicans are turning the other cheek. I don't think that's a good combo. Clay, um, first of all, we need you back tomorrow, so make sure your flight lands where it needs to land and and all that. Uh, Where are you going tonight for your book signing for American Playbook? And are you going to see our friends Jesse Kelly and Michael Berry to keep them out of trouble? 
Potentially. I was already on Michael Berry's show this morning. I did Jesse's show last uh, well, last week. Uh, I land uh, this afternoon almost immediately, go straight to Katy, Texas, books a million there. I'll be signing. Tomorrow I'll be in Brandon, Florida, which is outside of Tampa, uh, doing an event there. And then Thursday I'm going to be in Nashville back home. So I'll be back uh, full go tomorrow from our Tampa affiliate. Look forward to that. Hold down the fort until then, and uh, I'm legitimately hopping a flight right now. So look forward to seeing people tonight in uh, Katy, Texas. Look at how the man is going around to see all of our people. Buy your copy of American Playbook, Clay's book, which is out now. Clay, we'll talk to you more tomorrow. Appreciate it, my man. I'll see you tomorrow. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel the Towers Foundation has been delivering on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices of America's greatest heroes. Heroes who put their lives on the line to protect our country and our communities. Heroes like Bristol, Connecticut Police Sergeant Dustin DeMonte. After responding to a domestic violence incident, he sustained fatal gunshot wounds. He left behind his expectant wife and two children. Thanks to the generosity of people like you, Tunnel to Towers paid the mortgage on the DeMonte family home, lifting a financial burden. As his loved ones mourned the decorated officer's loss, they welcomed a miracle, the child he would never get to meet. So many families need your help. Please help America's heroes and their young families. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good in their honor. 95 cents out of every dollar you donate goes to their programs. Join us in donating $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Heard it on the show? Hear more on the podcast. Clay and Buck Podcast Deep Dives. More content, more common sense. Find the guides on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Andy McCarthy is with us of National Review and Fox News. 20-plus years, federal prosecutor, Southern District of New York. Andy, <laughs> Andy, I feel like I haven't talked to you in about two days. So what, what, do, you, what do you see here, man? I mean, this, so this one comes down just first, you know, the indictment was posted before it was done. What do you make of that? Is there any issue there that creates for this process? And then just... The 98 pages, I mean, what sticks out to you? What are your biggest takeaways right now? Yeah, I don't think much of the um, the misfiling or the mispublication by the clerk's office. I think I didn't either. We, but, could yeah. probably did, yeah, we should pro- probably deduce that that's part of why they stayed so late. They didn't want that to be a continuing story. They wanted to just like sort of get on with it. But I don't think it'll amount to anything. As far as the, the case is concerned, I just think that, you know, I, I had an open mind about this because um, in our system, it's really up to the um, to the states to police elections and uh, to carry out elections. So I thought that she would have a better array of statutes uh, than Jack Smith did in trying to like so, sort of force a federal uh, election interference case on using statutes that really aren't designed to police elections. Um, and there is, you know, I, I think there is some of that in her indictment. But I think by and large, she makes a big mistake going the RICO route. I don't really I know she says that she's had experience in that regard. I don't I don't grasp here or I don't get here uh, reading this, that she has a great grasp on on what RICO is and why you use it. But it just seems to me that um, the big hole in her case, and I'm talking specifically about count one, the 71-page, 160-something uh, acts of 
uh, overt acts of conspiracy, which is the framework she wants people to understand the uh, her her case in. Um, I think the problem that she has is any good prosecutor would want just a plain old conspiracy, like straight line. Conspiracy is just uh, two or more people agree to do something that is a crime under federal uh, under the penal law of the jurisdiction. Um, and the problem is the objective here of this uh, this kind of rambling group that she's put together as if it were one entity. Uh, the objective was to retain Trump in office, which in and of itself is not a crime. And that's not a problem she can make go away by trying to turn the thing into a RICO as opposed to, you know, some other kind of a conspiracy. So how much jeopardy do you think Trump is in? In You know, what you've given us, I think, is right your assessment of the legal realities of this as it pertains to what should be the case. But she's brought this. There's a lot of people, I think 18 other people, including uh, 18 other people other than Trump. Um, do you think Trump should be... His, should his team be concerned? I mean, it feels like he can't get pardoned on this one. At least he can't pardon himself. Right. It's not federal. You know, uh, did, is your is it? You wrote the piece right in uh, the New York Post that this one this one is concerning in terms of the the threat to the legal threat to Trump or no? Yeah, I did. And uh, what I said the the headline on that column didn't quite match up with what I argued. What I said was it's not so much the most perilous threat to Trump as it is the most enduring tra- threat to Trump. And what, I don't mean to be legalistic uh, in, in that distinction. It's it's not so much the strength of the case. It's the thing you just referred to. If he gets convicted here of anything, and he's, you know, there's 41 counts, 41 counts here. I don't know how many he's charging off the top of my head. It's probably like six or seven or more. Um, but, you know, if he gets convicted on any of these counts, even if I don't think much of the RICO count, um, he not only runs the risk of uh, a prison sentence, he can't be pardoned. You know, so with the federal stuff, there's a the way that he is confronting those cases. There's an element of delay seeking in his strategy because he knows if he can push the cases far enough into next year and and potentially beyond, then if a Republican, whether it's Trump or not, wins the election. Uh, you either have the Justice Department dismiss the case or if he, you know, if he's been convicted in one of those cases by then, uh, if he wins, he can pardon or a Republican president can pardon. Um, here, he can't do that. If he gets convicted, that's, you know, it, it's not something he can shake off. So how do you how do you think this plays out, Andy? I mean, what did, Does the trial get done before the election? And uh, do you think that some of the I mean, she wants to try them all at once. Also, how does Trump plus the 18? How does that play out? Well, I tried uh, actually uh, I was the junior member of the team when I was a young prosecutor on what I think remains the longest federal criminal prosecution in American history. 17 months, uh, the pizza connection case Uh, It was a, a, a mafia organized crime international racketeering case um, where we started out with 22 defendants and ended with 19. Um, Some of them were lost to natural causes, some not. Um, But, you know, it's a a, the reason the case took 17 months is if you tried any, you know, one or four or five of them, you could have done it in a finite period of time, maybe. But, uh, you know, if you're going to do all of them in one case, that takes a long time. And the other thing here, Buck, is that um, 
she's indicted a bunch of lawyers here. You know, those lawyers are going to make like a million motions. Um, so her, you know, I heard uh, her say that uh, she expects to be able to get this case to trial in six months. I'm like, good luck. Um, I don't think there's a prayer that she's going to get this case to to trial in six months. I think there's going to be mammoth litigation here. Uh, and I, I also think that, you know, the litigation is not going to be just to to churn, you know, just to, to spin everyone's wheels. There's problems with this case. Uh, and I think there's a good chance that some of the counts will stick, uh, but some of the counts may not, including the RICO count, which I think is, is rickety. Um, and I think there's kind of a disconnect between the strength of the case and the notoriety of the defendant's that she has targeted. So, for example, I think the strongest counts that I, what I've been able to study of the indictment so far, I think, like, for example, hacking into the state election system is, that's the kind of thing I expected to see here. You know, a a crime that's directly uh, related to the state's duty to protect election integrity, that they don't really have a federal analog. It's not the kind of thing that Smith could have charged, but she can charge because she's the state uh, DA. Right. But there's very little evidence that Trump's involved in that. You know, so it just seems to me like the stronger the counts get to me, the less complicity there seems to be with the main people that she's uh, seeking headlines on. Here. A- Andy, I'm just curious. I mean, I think sometimes this, uh, you know, doing a little um, sitting across the chessboard can be an interesting exercise. If you were a power mad Democrat prosecutor and you were trying to get Trump in this Georgia case, right? If you were taking over and your mandate in life was anything to get a conviction of Donald Trump, any kind of conviction, would you have left off all the other 18 left off the Rico? Like what, what would have been the, the smarter pathway from her perspective where she just clearly wants a, a guilty verdict against him? Yeah. Well, actually I think it may be worse than that. I think she mainly wanted to, to indict the case. Uh, I'm oh, not just to indict. OK, yeah, yeah. It, well, b- because I think, you know, we talked about the the pardon as part of the, you know, it's a, it's a quirk of state prosecutions versus the uh, federal that, you know, he can't pardon this. The other quirk of state prosecutions, I think that we always have to keep our eyes on. And I say this especially with Bragg. Uh, these are elected Democrats who happen to ho- to be district attorneys. Right. They're not like. Prosecutors who are appointed in the federal system, where at least in theory you get vetted by the Senate to make sure you're not going to use your awesome law enforcement power to go after your political enemies. Here, going after your political enemies is good politics in these blue cities. Right. And she gets a lot of points just by bringing this case. But if I were going to go after Trump, I think the reason she brings the RICO is she she wanted to bring this is like the fantasy case for Democrats, right? They're all racketeers, and they, she's thrown right. in everyone they hate, right? She's, she's going for the she's going for the home run on this one, Andy, right? I mean, she's swinging. But the only way she figures she could have could hang that together is to bring it as a RICO. If you wanted to convict Trump, then you boil the case down to the few things that Trump did that you can pin on him. And focus on that, and maybe you'd have a prayer of getting the case to to trial, even if his dance guard wasn't already pretty full with other engagements. But I don't think you know this is this is not designed. This is designed for uh, election campaign. I get you. So so swinging for the fences here, like going for the high, you know, going all in, top count, Rico, and everything else. The victory, in essence, for the prosecutor here, given it's a political system and a political, uh, you know, political system that puts her there in the first place is 
you brought the highest possible charge. Like, no matter what, it's upside for Fannie Willis at this point, right? I mean, politically speaking. Yeah, I think, you know, she didn't bring – Jack Smith brought the um, the best case progressive legal charges against Trump, right? This is kind of like more like if Jen Psaki wrote the wrong criminal charges rather than a lawyer. You know, this is like the Democrat version of what – the post twenty twenty election was all about. Do you think there's a real a real risk that they could? You know, there's so many. I mean, I was reading them at the top of the show, Andy. There's so many of these counts, but things like uh, you know forgery in the first degree, false statement in writing. These things appear. Could the, you know the problem with the Florida case for Trump? It seems to all of us is even if you think the documents were fine for him to have or whatever, and put that aside. I don't think you do think the documents were fine for him to have, but even if they were. The way he reacted to that, the, the process may be a part of his problem there, right? Is that, that's fair to say? Is, is there yeah. anything like that here that could jam Trump up? Meaning that the big stuff, they go, no, he's not guilty, but like, yeah, they signed this thing and it's a sworn declaration and now we've got, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I, I think that, um, we're all going to need to sort of digest this a little more than I've been able to, but I feel that going through this so far, every place I've kicked the tires, I've found problems. I've never been blown away by the, uh, the fake electors thing. The fake electors thing to me is just like, uh, it's the Russia, it's the, um, post 2020 election equivalent of what in Russia gate they used to complain about all the time about Trump supposedly, uh, telling, telling Putin that he should hack Hillary. You know, like if you're listening, Russia, I hope that you, you know, find the, the 30,000 emails. Oh, yeah, 20, the 2016. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that was like the stupidest. I mean, it, even Mueller repeated it in his indictments. And I always thought it was the stupidest claim because, like, by the time he said that, first of all, he was obviously just trying to show, you know, draw attention to how reckless she had been with national security information. But by then, like the FBI had Hillary servers. There was no way they could have been hacked. You know, the whole thing was stupid. But they repeated it again and again and again. And I think the fake electors to me has been is a is akin to that in the sense that you guys remember January 6th as well as I do. The fake electors were not a thing. You know, they read in the um, in these indictments a lot bigger and bolder. It's the same thing in the January 6th committee hearings. They're a lot bigger issue in the retelling than they were at the time. Nobody believed those people were certified state electors. I, you know, if there hadn't been a riot, I don't think it would have, you know, it wouldn't have taken 10 seconds if somebody was stupid enough to raise the, you know, the contention that they were legitimate electors that would have been given the back of the hand in nothing flat. So, you know, to treat that like it's the crime of the century, which seems to be uh, the objective here, I've always thought that, like, those people, let's put a couple of knuckleheads in the in the Trump uh, strategy team aside, that the people in the states thought that they were not fake electors. They thought they were contingent electors. Their idea was that if Trump managed to get the thing overturned in the state courts or in the legislature, then they stood ready to be the slate of electors uh, if the election result got legitimately overturned. But nobody in Washington thought on, you know, on January 6th that they were legitimate electors. So, you know, I, I just think if that's what you're hanging your hat on, I, I, as a juror, I would have a hard time with that. You think that Trump is in... Whenever these trials actually happen, do you think he's in pretty good shape to beat all four? 
Man, it's it, what's he up to now? 120 counts? Something like that. Well, no, yeah. I guess what's it? Some, I mean, it's it was 80 going into this one, right? And he's he, is he in like six or seven or eight here? So you know, I mean, it's hard to beat every single count, and there is stuff that went on here that they may be able to say, you know, state conspiracy law tends to be not as prosecutor friendly as federal conspiracy law does. Um, but if if this were a federal case, uh, I would. I would argue that Trump would have a big problem if you get like a good state crime, like they got access, like they hacked into the state system, say, and they got access to the voter information. And there was ev- any evidence that Trump had either greenlighted that or that he knew about it and sort of like nodded and said, yeah, that's a good idea or, or something like that. Right. Then he'd have a problem, you know, and there's so many counts. You don't know. It's hard to say off the top of your head, you know, which what kind of. Of all the things he's been charged with, what falls into that category? This was my concern, too, Andy, because I remember from government days, things like official misuse of computer sounds very administrative and whatever, but it's kind of a you did or you didn't, and if they decide to throw the book at you, it can actually be really nasty. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think that's what strikes me about this indictment so far is that the more puny the charges seem to sound, the more strong they probably are because they're really, you know, state election law stuff. Whereas the more grandiose, like the big RICO conspiracy that gets everyone in, I am so, like, underwhelmed by that. Uh, yeah. I can't tell you. All right. Andy McCarthy, everybody. Andy, we'll keep you on speed dial. Thanks for being here. Thanks, guys. Great to be with you. More and more people are speculating on whether we'll hear an announcement from our federal government sometime this year about a central bank digital currency. According to former Wall Street insider Tika Tawari, the government could soon announce the details, which may go as far as a mandatory recall on the U.S. dollar. A new digital version would take place of it. Tika Tawari's warning the official announcement could come in just the next few months. He's laid out this government plan in a video that shows you three steps that you need to take to prepare. Go online to his website, dollarrecall.com. Watch this video that the government doesn't want you to see dollarrecall.com learn how to prepare before it's too late your life savings is at stake here if things get bad once more it's dollarrecall.com paid for by palm beach research group keeping it real keeping it honest clay travis and buck sexton all right we've got why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 
G-O-L-D. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes that we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. GCU believes in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. GCU equips you to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. Change the world for good by putting others before yourself to glorify God. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's online, on-campus, and hybrid learning environments are designed to help you achieve your unique academic, personal, and professional goals. With over 330 academic programs as of September 2023, GCU meets you where you are and provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Let it flourish. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. The number one fantasy sports app in America is Prize Picks. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Five million members already active on Prize Picks. If you've not yet downloaded Prize Picks, do it today. Unlike other apps on Prize Picks, it's just you against the number. It's about the players and not the teams. You look for the sports you know best and that you follow the most. Then you make a single decision on each player projection, more or less. Every time you play, you pick two to six players and make that one decision. You can win up to 100 times your money on Prize Picks with as little as four picks. More player action on Prize Picks now than ever, and it's the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states now. Prize Picks also gives you injury insurance so your picks stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Download the free Prize Picks app and open your account. Use my name Clay for a first deposit match up to $100. Download the Prize Picks app. Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, to get set up and get a deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Our friend Sarab Amari with us now. He's an author and a columnist. He's the founder of Compact, and he's got a new book out, Tyranny Incorporated. Sarab, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Buck, and sorry I missed Clay. Oh, yeah. No, he's uh, he sends you his regards. He's, I believe, in the air as we speak. Otherwise, he would certainly be here, too. Yeah, I, I think this is really interesting, Sarah, because one of the one of the things about Trumpism that I, I would say is an observation more than an opinion is it it created um, a broader discussion about economic populism in the country than we'd seen in a long time. What that really means, what that looks like. Uh what is it that corporations are doing um, from your, you know, from your vantage point that you deal with in this book that you think needs to be addressed, restructured? You know, what are the concerns? Yeah. So in the over the past two generations, we've had a shift to ever greater corporate power, uh, Buck, um, and it's been made possible by the idea, the incorrect idea, too often endorsed by kind of the establishment GOP above all, you know, figures like Paul Ryan or Mitt Romney, that coercion is only what government does to us and that we're, we don't face coercion in the private economy, in our lives as, as workers, as consumers, as citizens. And this is actually an alien idea in the Republican. And I mean that in the 
both the capital R and the small R sense of Republican in that tradition, you know, our founding fathers were highly alert to the possibilities of private coercion, um, writing ab about it in terms of faction, of the dangers of faction in the Federalist Papers, uh, as you know. Um, so, you know, over the past I'd say maybe half a decade or so, we've seen it. Um, we've seen ordinary Republicans, people of the right, become a little bit more skeptical of a kind of free market Uber Alice mentality when we see, you know, corporations acting against um, the common good of the country by, you know, shipping jobs overseas and destroying, you know, wide swaths of manufacturing in the heartland. You know, it's this horrific tragedy where if you look at the maps of the counties that are uh, exposed to, you know, free trade from China, those, it over, overlaps almost uncannily with the same areas that are hit by the opioid crisis and so on. And just very briefly, we've also seen, um, in, in the vaccine mandates, for example, the way that, uh, government can often collude with corporations to create laws that ma impose mandates on ordinary people, which they have to fulfill and it benefits you know, obviously big pharma. Or when I was at the New York Post, uh, I've left now, but at the time I was sort of in the eye of the storm having to do with the, you know, the big tech censorship of the Hunter Biden story. You know, again, partly government related, but also it's just and the enormous amount of power wielded by a few Silicon Valley oligarchs and their uh, managers and programmers to silence and unperson the rest of us, including the newspaper founded by Alexander Hamilton. So there's this new alertness to the possibilities of market-based coercion on the right, which I think is healthy and in line with actually older and deeper uh, traditions of the right. So, Rob, when we talk about this, I mean, understanding or awareness of the problem is critical. I feel like where this gets really... Uh, challenging right away is so the things to do about it. You know, you've had the, uh, the right, I think, in the last year feel a little more of its muscle on these issues of dealing with corporate America than we've seen in a long time. There's the Ron DeSantis approach to Disney in Florida. There's the uh, effectively the brand destruction of Bud Light. Um, there have been a number of other things, you know, whether it's a movie that bombed or, uh, you know, is it boycotts that you think are going to change the trajectory or, or change the the uh, the tyrannical abilities of corporations? Like what is you know, you've diagnosed the disease, if not the cure, what is the treatment for corporate tyranny? Well, I think boycotts are actually important. Um, I would not. Uh, sort of poo-poo boycotts. They're, you know, that's one of the weapons of, of relatively powerless consumers as against much larger entities. And, you know, there's a long history of them, uh, working in multiple causes. That said, uh, I'm a little bit worried that some of the responses always go toward, um, just sort of at the level of the superficial cultural issues. Not that those aren't important. I don't, I don't want Disney, you know, propagandizing my kids into gender ideology more than anyone else. Um, but there are policy solutions that I sometimes feel, you know, this new crop of more populist type GOP lawmakers, you know, bless their hearts. They'll go on Fox News or they'll go on, you know, on the congressional uh, hearings and they'll berate CEOs and stuff, but they don't, for example, the issue of, debanking or depersoning of individuals by big tech companies, there are policy solutions that they could do, which would actually be, again, deeply in tune with our traditions, which they don't pursue. So, for example, 
um, the idea of a common carrier provider uh, is a very powerful one. It actually goes back to the common law in England, it's, so it's very, very old. The idea is that for services that are common to everyone that you all ha we all have to use, the provider, even if it's a private provider, can't unreasonably discriminate against individuals. So, for example, we already apply this to your to the trains or to you know your phone company. Your phone company can't defone you for saying the wrong thing. And uh, as Justice Clarence Thomas, you know, that famous radical leftist has suggested, that same common carrier doctrine may have to be applied to things like banks and social media companies, because otherwise, uh, you know, especially right now, it's a lot of conservatives that are on the sharp end of this stuff. Nigel Farage in Britain lost his bank account fam infamously. Um, you know, January 6th def defendants haven't been able to use uh, PayPal to fundraise for their cause, etc. But I think there should be a warning here even to people on the left if they're willing to listen. Right now they're using these mechanisms to basically beat up their enemies. But it doesn't mean that they, you know, potentially won't find themselves on the wrong side of this later. So again, we, you know, we, we have policy mechanisms and traditions in the American and common law that we have to use uh, and not just sort of shout about it on on Fox News. Although, believe me, I, I've done my share of shouting, too. The uh, book is Tyranny, Inc., How Private Power Crushed American Liberty and What to Do About It. Just one more for you on that, Sir Rob. Um, what do we do about the about big tech and social media companies? It got a lot of attention at the end of the Trump administration, then Trump didn't end up being president for the next four years. Now we see the extent of uh, perhaps the collusion between government entities and big tech for obvious political purposes and, and really political leverage. So what do we do? You know, how, how do we handle this? They've seen some conservative or I shouldn't even say conservative free speech platforms like Rumble, for example, which is a sponsor here on the show, among others are out there. Um, what's the way forward? Yeah, so those free speech platforms are great. I, I watch Rumble shows myself. Um, but again, there's policy solutions. One is there's a litigation solution, which actually Senator Cruz was the first to propose, which is once it becomes government actively directing social media companies to censor something, then at, that implicates the First Amendment. Yes, Twitter or Facebook or whatever might be privately owned, but when it's that clearly being been been sort of um, subordinated by the government imperative, then you can't say that your First Amendment hasn't hasn't been violated. Another one is this common carrier doctrine. That's uh, Clarence Thomas's note. All these are coming from conservative thinkers and politicians. A, a common carrier doctrine, the same thing that prevents uh, you know a publicly owned, a, a public service oriented private company like your phone company from discriminating against you, should also be applied to big tech. Um, the last one, which is gets a bit technical, but it's to reform what's called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It's a law that allows it, it was enacted before there was Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, but it allows these companies to act like publishers, meaning they can censor stuff, but without facing any of the traditional liabilities of a publisher. Like if I, God forbid, libel someone on this show, um, not just me, but you know, iHeartRadio would be uh, liable to libel. But for these companies, we've created this mechanism where they can intervene in speech. And the goal was to prevent pornography, hence why the name of the act is the Communications Decency Act. But they're using it. There's plenty of porn on the platforms. Uh, they're using it to silence uh, speech. And so if they're going to do that, we have to take away that protection. And I think it will scare them a lot. So these are the policy solutions, I think.
Sarab Amari is the author. The book, Tyranny, Inc., How Private Power Crushed American Liberty and What to Do About It, it is out today. Sarab, thanks so much. My pleasure. That's the thing. We've got to figure out how to deal with the um, advantages that the Democrats have carved out using um, private corporate power, but in a public forum and even allied with the public sector is in the government. It's a mess, a mess. And it affects elections. I mean, he was at the New York Post. So Rob's a New York Post writer, and he was a Wall Street Journal uh, editorial writer before that, when they suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop. That probably, I mean, you you know, never can prove this because, you know, we can't redo history, but it probably cost Trump the election, right? The suppression of the laptop story certainly would have been helpful to him for people to know that truth. Uh, we'll finish up with some of your calls, some of your emails, so stick with us here for just uh, a bit more. You and I likely share this same cell phone company, Pure Talk. You got the same notice I did, and they increased the amount of data on our plans by 50% last month without any monthly plan cost increase. It's still just $20. That's great news for those of us who have Pure Talk, and it's time to make the switch if you don't have Pure Talk. Pure Talk has added data to every plan and includes a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. When you switch to Pure Talk, it's just $20 a month for unlimited talk, text, and now 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. The cell phone service is every bit as good as any of the other well-known companies like AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. That's because their service is on one of these companies' networks and towers. Dial pound 250. Say Clay and Buck to make the switch to Pure Talk. You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, that's dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. Want more Clay and Buck that you didn't hear on the show? Get podcast extras in the Clay and Buck podcast feed. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 